30 neo-Nazis stood on the steps of Victoria's Parliament House at the weekend giving the Heil Hitler salute. Their behaviour has shocked the Andrews government into legislating a ban on the symbol. But will a law overcome widespread, possibly growing ignorance of Nazism and its monstrous history? Professor Avril Alba of the University of Sydney is heading a new research project, a national research project, into how education can combat anti-Semitism. We often make the mistake of thinking there's a single way of dealing with these kinds of incidents. And I personally don't believe that there is. There is a place for banning hate speech. And we live in a society in Australia where we have anti-racial vilification legislation and we work actively against the incitement of hate speech. But I think to think that banning is the only solution or the only way is to miss the larger point. And the larger point, I think, is about education, but it's about the complexity of that education and doing that education in a way that is truly effective and addresses the multiplicity of issues that this seemingly a shocking act, but an act that is done clearly to shock, it actually, I think, underlies a much more complex problem. There's no question about the importance, Avril, of education, historical education. But do you think that 30 people, masked men, raising their arms in the Heil Hitler salute are the sort of people open to persuasion or education? That is a really good question. And I think in a way, if we think that the education is purely for those kinds of what we hope are fringe elements, again, we're missing the point. I am enough of a believer in education to hope that should those 30 men be open to looking at the world in a different way and to understanding why that act was just so deeply offensive to so many people. But deeply offensive, I think, to, if I could call it the Australian way of life, but our understanding of what democracy is, what civil society is, etc., then I would hope that they would be open to learning about why that is the case. Unfortunately, the history does show us that the kind of hardcore ideas that do believe in hate ideologies are very hard to get to. But I don't believe they are the majority. And in, in many ways, I don't believe they are the people that we're seeking to educate. I believe the people we're seeking to educate are, in a sense, the vast majority of fair-minded people who perhaps are shocked but don't really understand why this was such a terrible thing to do. And also, We've got to remember in this instance, this is not primarily something against Jews or it's using an anti-Semitic gesture or a gesture that has become to be associated with the worst forms of anti-Semitism, but to incite hatred against another group, of Mm. course. This is not in any way to exculpate what occurred, but do you think that everyone who behaved in that action or, or people generally who exhibit Nazi paraphernalia, do the Heil Hitler salute, are they fully aware of of what they're doing? It may seem inconceivable today to think that, but are there people who are simply just ignorant of the history? I don't think they're completely ignorant. Let's put it that way. They understand that these are symbols of hate and that these are symbols that are deeply offensive. What they may not understand is just how, in a sense, horrific but also complicated that history is and how those 
actions, those symbols underlie an enormously complex political process, which was the process by which the Nazis came to power, instilled fear, destroyed democracy, undertook persecutions of people. You you see what I'm getting at here. They don't understand what this led to, I think. They know the end of the story. I think it would be disingenuous or or naive to think that they don't understand what Nazism, quote-unquote, achieved, which is the murder of millions. But do they truly understand that in evoking this, they are evoking really, you know, the greatest horror of the 20th century? I think we do have to think seriously about that because, to be honest with you, I see the lack of historical memory and the lack of historical knowledge within people of goodwill, let Mm. alone within people of bad will, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I wonder, Avril, whether it's also the disappearance, the simple dying off of the wartime generation that is loosening this historical memory. I mean, I grew up knowing that my grandfather was a Royal Air Force officer who fought the Nazis, and it was pretty hard for me not to have some historical memory of that. Is the simple disappearance of the wartime generation an issue? Absolutely. I think that sort of visceral connection that you describe, that our generation and the generation that came before us had to the war and to living through that for them and the aftermath of that for us is something very, very palpable and real. I think the challenge, of course, is how do you then convey that to generations for whom this has become, in a sense, you know, ancient history, right? It's very hard for people to remember what happened a month ago, let alone 75 years, you know. So I I think you're absolutely right. That is a huge educational challenge and one that we continue to contend with. The other thing that strikes me, Avril, is that there is a lot of loose talk these days about Nazis and fascism. I'm just wondering whether the liberal way in which these labels are applied perhaps confuses and devalues. It sort of cheapens what should be a very serious accusation. Yes, I do agree with that. There is always the danger of trivialisation and the the Godwin's Law theory that within three stages of an argument, I think it is, if someone's invoking the Nazis, you know you've gotten to a terrible place. And I think that is true. And I think we see that when we see people respond to the Lineker thing that happened recently, right? The yes, this was the, one... yes, yes, just to remind people, this was <laughs> the comment by the BBC sports commentator Gary Lineker in which he said that the talk and the pretty harsh talk about uh, irregular immigration to Britain had echoes of 1930. Absolutely. There is a place for analogy and I think if I understand what he was doing correctly, he was trying to bring to light a pretty awful policy at present by evoking that past. And that's not always wrong. As historians, you know, when you're working as a historian, you're very, very sensitive to context. And you know that, of course, there is a difference to Germany in the 1930s than to Britain in the current moment, not the least of which being the destruction of the democratic system. But at the same time, if we can never 
look back at history and say, what are the factors here that are being evoked or are there similarities? Then in some ways, you know, history does become an irrelevance. Now, I'm the last person to want to say that as someone who works predominantly in history, but I think it is a fine balance. We do have to be true to the history. We do have to teach context and knowledge. But as educators, we also want to evoke empathy in the students that we educate. And I think there was a very interesting evaluation done in the UK because they've had mandatory Holocaust education for quite a while now in 2016. And it actually found the historical knowledge of the Holocaust was quite low amongst UK students. But there was also recognition that they did understand that this was a very terrible thing that happened. Now, you might say that's quite trite, but on the other hand, it demonstrates that There is such a thing as historical empathy, I think, which doesn't always equate to historical knowledge, unfortunately. You mentioned Germany there, obviously. Germany, post-war Germany, seems to have gone through a couple of phases, initial denial, widespread denial. But then I think by the 1960s and 70s, didn't Germany become the world leader in historical memory? How has Germany dealt with this? It is a really difficult thing, as we know, for countries to come to terms with inglorious past. And the most common thing to do, of course, is to ignore that past or to justify that past or to attempt to whitewash it, so to speak. You must give credit to the process, at least the official process, that Germany has gone through to try and come to terms with its past, right? And there is even a German term for that. We do have to acknowledge that and also acknowledge that the benefit of that, in a sense, right, is not just the recognition for the victims, which of course is very important, but it's the fact that this creates a different kind of society and a society that's able to reflect critically on its past and to have those conversations and to bring that into the way they wish to live now. There's no more symbolic structure in Germany than the parliament building, right, which is entirely glass. The idea that for the new Germany, everything must be held up for scrutiny, including the very act of sitting in Parliament Mm. itself. That is a huge learning from the past that we see symbolically, you know, in that structure, but obviously on a greater sense in that society. It hasn't eradicated racism. Let's face it, it hasn't eradicated racism in Germany. Perhaps we will never completely eradicate it, but it is at least a huge step towards that. Just finally, Avril, we've been talking here about the most blatant kind of anti-Semitism and racial discrimination, the legacy of Nazism. But you study more broadly anti-Semitism. It seems to sort of ebb and flow. What bubbles below the surface, absent of these blatant demonstrations, Mm. what bubbles below the surface, though? Unfortunately, we know that anti-Semitism not only has a long history, but it has a history of also morphing, almost like a virus. It morphs and it changes. And we have instances of, like you said, blatant and violent expressions of anti-Semitism, but we also have genteel and quite official expressions of anti-Semitism. I mean, one of the things we've spoken about in the past is that it's hard to conceive now, but in the immediate post-war period, Australia had quotas on the amount of Jewish survivors that could come here. Now, paradoxically, Australia still ends up taking the largest amount of Holocaust survivors in the post-war period 
outside of Israel. But official anti-Semitism persists into the post-war period. This is a, a conundrum for all of us now, in a sense, looking back. But what we forget, again, historical memory is so short, is that the whole reason the Nazis could run their platform is that anti-Semitism was an acceptable political platform in Europe. It wasn't just them. And it wasn't the only thing they ran on, obviously. But anti-Semitism was a platform that was utilised on the political stage with legitimacy in the late 19th century and the early 20th century. Professor Avril Alba, she's running a new research project with Sydney University, Deakin University and the University of Technology, Sydney, into how education can combat anti-Semitism. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.